The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Tonight's scripture reading will be Colossians 2, 16 through 3, 4. Um, and if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to give you one as a gift from Park Church. Feel free to head over to the info table after the service, um, and someone would be happy to meet you and give you a Bible as a gift from the church. Once again, our scripture reading is Colossians 2, 16 through 3, 4. It's on page 984 in the Bible, in the pew back in front of you. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that are all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome to the intimate 5 p.m. on a Labor Day weekend. Um, And happy Labor Day tomorrow, and happy uh, start to the college football season. Usually gets a few more cheers. Um, my name is Neil. I'm on staff here at the church. Good to be with you all. We are finishing up um, a three-week series on spiritual renewal, looking again at the mission of the church and what we're called to be and do here in the city. Uh, before we jump in, I just want to let you guys know about our curriculum uh, that we just got shipped earlier this week. Um, so we're picking back up in our series in Exodus. Um, starting next Sunday. So we spent about 18 weeks back in the spring walking about the first half of Exodus, and we're going to finish that up in the fall just in time for Advent. And we love to create resources for our people uh, to walk through the Word of God. Because we're, one, we're convinced that the the preaching of God's Word on a Sunday, it it just cannot be exchanged for anything else. Like We need the heralding of God's Word. And at the same time, we want to see all of us be shaped by the Word of God in our homes, in our gospel communities, in our individual study of the Word. And so we've, we've created um, these curriculum for um, our sermon series to, to do just that. We have different components and different layers to it uh, that ask different questions, that have context for uh, diving a little bit further, kind of getting around the rest of the Bible to see how the, the story in Exodus ties into the grander narrative of what God is doing in the world. So we have these here at the info table if you guys want to. There's stuff for you to do this week leading up to next Sunday. Um, we, we asked for $5 just to help offset some of the costs. I think it costs like $7, $8 for us to, uh, to print them. Um, so if you can chip in 5 bucks, grab one of these. We'll also have them in the next few weeks. Um, but feel free to do that. Um, all right, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get into our sermon. Father, thank you for making us into a family. I thank you that by the work of of your son, we're we're brought near 
uh, to be seen by you and known by you, and to be able to relate to one another uh, in a place where we don't have to perform. Uh, we, we don't have to, uh, to throw on different exterior forms to, uh, to, to look a certain way, to uh, be received in a certain way. Uh, we're able to enjoy the freedom of honesty, uh, the refreshing gift of your mercy and your grace that meets us where we are. So, Spirit, I, I ask that we would, we would experience that reality, even tonight. That even as we, we look at uh, the realities of spiritual renewal, as it comes home into our individual lives, as we consider how we're pursuing you and beholding you and seeing you, and may you give us that, that sweet gift of, of just being laid bare before the God who, who is love and who draws near to us in our weakness, who draws near in our time of need. So uh, please help us tonight. Uh, do, do the work that you love to do in glorifying yourself and, and seeing us uh, come more alive um, in you and through you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my grandparents in the 1950s met at a big tent revival. Um, who's heard of a big tent revival? I'm just curious. Okay, handful of us. Um, my, my grandma was singing up front. My grandpa kind of snuck into the back. Uh, he was drawn to her, her holiness, I'm sure, just like the holiness was just so evident uh, the way she was up on stage. And within two weeks, they were engaged. Within two months, they were married. And now I think, what, 64, 65 years later, they're still wonderfully married and, and serving the Lord together. That's a story in, in its own right. I want to focus on this dimension of, this reality of revival. What is this thing that we've been talking about the past few weeks about spiritual renewal or a spiritual revival? And how does this actually come about? How does this actually take place? You know, in, in the 1950s, my grandparents met. There was, hey, let's, let's literally throw up a tent. Let's get musicians and let's get someone to preach and let's go long to the night and have people praying again and again and again and hour after hour and let's just anticipate that God is going to do something in our midst. Well, I find it fascinating that this, this mindset can, can go, grow kind of stale over time. And in fact, uh, we still have vestiges of this in our society today. I was talking with a, a pastor friend a handful of months ago, and he's like, hey, sorry, I've got to run from our meeting. Um, I've got a revival to get to. I was like, oh. So you know, I was kind of mine in a little bit more, asked some more questions. And, and, and they were actually setting a context where they were, they were saying the Spirit is going to show up in a particular way. Now, that, that is a wonderful thing to long for to desire, to pray for, to even move ourselves in the, the path of where Christ may work in these particular ways. But it, it set up this, this kind of dichotomy in, in how I think we can conceive of the work of the Spirit amongst His people. On the one hand, we can, we can, out of our own strength, out of our own ability, we can create some sort of context or construct and say, this is going to be revival. This is going to be a renewal. This is what God is going to do here in this place at this time in this way. Or on the other side, we can begin to experience our own weakness and our own need. And in that place, begin to, to draw near to the throne of grace. All the while still anticipating, God, what may you do? How, how may you draw us in? How may you enliven us? I was really hit um, early this morning when I woke up way earlier than I anticipated. Um, but just with 
an awareness, an acute awareness of my own weakness. It's not something I, I love to feel. I don't, I don't love to, to feel my need or my lack or the absence of something. I'm, I like to feel competent. I like to feel able. I like to feel like I can, I can kind of navigate what's in front of me. I can think about it. I can do something about it. I can kind of rearrange the pieces in order to, to do what's necessary that, that makes sense and actually goes the right direction. But this morning, I don't entirely know why, but just felt in, in such a, an acute way that I am weak and in need of grace. I, I, I'm a needy human being. Not, not, not just in the sense of like, oh, that's, that's what the Christian is supposed to say. Like, oh yeah, Paul said that in 1 Corinthians somewhere, and so, yeah, yeah, that's where, where Christ's efficiency really shines forth. But I, I felt my barrenness. I felt that I'm, I'm depleted unless Christ work on my behalf. And, and feeling that, like even leading up to preaching this morning and preaching tonight, it's like, you know, what, yeah, God is doing some stuff in my own life. And what is he saying for us as a church as we think about spiritual renewal, as we think about the Spirit coming in particular ways to do something fresh, to do something new, to, to give us enlivened hearts and minds? That I'm really convinced it begins with weakness. It begins with an acknowledgement what it, with what is actually true, with what is actually real. And that's we're, we're needy before the God who is. Now, all of us, I, I think in, in some way, we, we long for God to work in powerful ways. We long for the city of Denver. You know, those who, who go about their days and their weeks and their months, maybe they've moved here from elsewhere, maybe they grew up in the front range, but somehow they're here in Denver. But they don't look to Jesus as the fountain of life to find joy. They look elsewhere. They look to recreation. They look to food and drink. They look to work and success or recognition or relationship. And we long for them to finally come and see that Jesus truly satisfies. And we long for those in our midst who, maybe some people in the room tonight, who've been going through the religious game, maybe since you can remember. You've done the Christian things. You kind of have the external realities. But there's never been a a coming before the God who's revealed himself in Jesus. And you felt the ability just to, to be laid bare before him and receive his grace and his kindness. We long for, for those individuals to finally receive him and receive that life that is found in him. Now, for those of us who are, are sleepy Christians, you know, somehow we're, we're tied up in the cultural allurements of, of our society and uh, taking the good gifts of God and elevating them above God in our affections. And we, we long to, to be awakened to the truth, beauty, and goodness of Christ as King, uh, Christ as the one who has drawn near to us to love us. And we long for those of us who are stuck in, in patterns of sin, of grief, of sorrow, of brokenness, of discouragement, anxiety, depression, things that we feel enslaved to and entrapped in. We long for a sense of freedom, of liberation. This is what happens in spiritual renewal. We begin to see corporately, we begin to see more broadly the Spirit of God moving forward and creating life where there was no life. And waking us up, creating a wakefulness to God. We long for this. But my invitation, even as we, we step into our time together in this passage, is that we would allow ourselves to begin in this place of, I'm, I'm weak and needy before the throne of grace. And this is actually the best place for me to be. That's where I found myself first thing this morning and as we spent time in prayer down in the basement before our, our first service, our boiler room prayer. 
I'm just being overcome by the different things that, that God was communicating through those around the circle of, uh, of how he, what he is speaking into this church, what he, he is speaking into where we are right now, what he may be doing, that, that we have this hunger, this spiritual longing, and we tend to glut ourselves elsewhere, and yet Jesus stands ready to receive us and say, come, come eat and drink because this truly satisfies. And as people are sharing around that circle, just... Just the, the kindness of God and speaking to things that he was even mentioning to me like this morning. Things he was laying on my heart at 4.50 a.m. And then just beginning to like cry and then weep in front of these folks. I, not, not loving to show my weakness and yet this is the place that we need to be. Like being undone before the God who is, who says, yeah, come near to me in your weariness. Come near to me in your inability. This is precisely where I love to work and to show my sufficiency. So this is my longing for us. This is our our longing as we we step into this next season as a church. But as we anticipate this corporate renewal, we have to recognize that there is no corporate renewal without personal renewal. Gary walked us through a couple weeks ago um, just the, the need that we have for a spiritual renewal. And looking last week at the, the reality of the church and what we're called to be and to do and engaging with Jesus, being with Jesus and, and, and working alongside him in what he's called us to. But none of this is possible if the individuals in this room, if the individuals that were here this morning, the individuals who are part of our church, do not begin to have personal rhythms where we're seeking the face of Jesus. Personal renewal always precedes corporate renewal. And yet often one of the biggest uh, blocks to our renewal is ourselves. I think when we're honest, we we recognize that. And so I want to look at three different blocks that we often experience. And then what is our path forward? How do we actually behold Jesus together? And these will be things that we're going to mine into further the rest of our our semester as we work through Exodus. Uh, But if you close your Bible, flip flip back open to Colossians chapter 2. Two of the blocks that I I think we see today are found in the church of Colossae and the third I think is unique to our modern context. But look with me in verse 16 of chapter 2 in Colossians. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. And then jump down to verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. So there, there was a group in the church of Colossae, somehow influencing and leading and teaching um, a lot of the people, a part of this church, down a couple of dangerous paths that, that was preventing gospel renewal to take place in this church. This was one of them. Simply put, it was legalism. It was saying, hey, here are the festivals and the rituals and the regulations and the rules, the things that you must do to earn your status before God. You want to relate to him rightly? Then do these things. You want to look good in this community? Then perform in these certain ways. Here is your list. And where you're not doing that, you're somehow substandard and probably not a Christian at all. I think for, for many of us, if we have grown up around the church, it's, we've bumped into this at some point. You know, we hear something about, hey, the, the need to read and study our Bibles. And maybe we, we ask a little bit more about, like, 
well, why? Like, I want to know, what's the purpose of this? Where's it going to take me? What's the, what's the goal of it? And we're met with something along the lines of, well, that's just what you do. Like, you follow Jesus, and so you read your Bible. Oh, and also, make sure you're, you're praying a lot. Like, Paul, he was praying without ceasing, so no matter how much you think you're praying, you still have a lot of room for improvement. So, like, keep praying, keep doing more, and feel bad where you're not praying without ceasing. We're like, well, help me understand, how does prayer function in our relationship with God? What is it actually doing in my spiritual life? And, and we're met with, well, that's just, that's just what you do. This is what Christians do. And also, do the other things of volunteer at the church and go on mission trips and lead Bible studies and on and on and on. The things that we're told implicitly and sometimes explicitly, this is what it means to be a good Christian. Now, none of these things are bad. They're actually really good gifts. These are things that God has given to us. They are disciplines that we're meant to engage in. But when the discipline becomes elevated in place of Christ himself, then we have some form of distorted Christianity, some form of idolatry. So legalism is is simply having an external pious form without the inward fight for affection. An external pious form. So doing things to kind of earn favor with others before God, to look good, kind of replay the, the religious game, but not have this inward soul fight to, to know and love and delight in the God who is. There's a danger here that we fall into thinking that these rules are the very essence of our relationship with Christ. So legalism is the first block. The second we see in verses 18 and 19. Look with me again, chapter 2, verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So another dimension of this heresy of this, this block to spiritual renewal was an overemphasis on emotion and experience. So, so, so just like with legalism, it's taking a, a good gift of discipline and, and elevating that too far. Emotionalism is taking the good gift of emotions and experience and elevating those above Christ himself. And so these Christians, these influencers were, were saying, hey, if you don't have the kind of visions that we have, if you don't have like the emotional highs and the, the spiritual sensations that we do, then you're at best a lower shelf Christian. And we're going to look down upon you with this, this spiritual pride. I think for, for us oftentimes it, it can take that form, but it often takes a, a different form as well. I was talking with a friend um, a few weeks ago and loves Jesus been walking with Jesus for a long time, has not been a part of a church for about two years, not attended a service for about two years. Um, and so I just asked him why. It's like, what, what's the reason for that? Like, what, you know, value the church? Like, you don't see the importance of it? What's, what's going on there? And he's like, well, I don't, I don't know what the payoff is. He's like, I'm, I'm really not sure what the return on investment is for me to go to Sunday corporate worship. I'm really not, not clear on, on what my involvement in a church, my coming to worship Jesus on a Sunday, I, I'm not seeing the, the immediate benefit from that. And so for now, I'm, I'm bowing out. I'm not going to be a part of that. I think that, that speaks to a broader, um, I guess, posture that we often have in our society toward whatever it is we engage in. And we're very much in favor of, 
hey, if I can see the, the personal benefit to whatever I'm going to invest in or give of myself to or somehow initiate or, or take part in, if I can see the personal benefit and it's in the relative short run, then I'm, I'm probably in. But if not, I, I don't want to waste the time. Like, well, what's, what's the purpose? I'm not really clear how this is going to, to benefit me. And, or if it is, it's, it's not all that clear that it's going to happen in a, a short time frame. So I'm, I'm actually not convinced that the Denverites are opposed to sacrifice. I just think we're, we're more inclined to sacrifice that leads to personal benefit in the short run. I think evidence for that is, is looking to Red Rocks on a Saturday morning when it's sunny at like 6.30 in the morning. Have you ever done this before? You go to Red Rocks, like you take some family there, and there's all these people with like very little clothes on and like stretching in ways that I didn't know were imaginable for, for the human body. Okay, a few people have seen this. It's really impressive. But there are sacrifices being made there early morning Saturday for the sake of health and wellness and a certain body type. And it, those things are, are wonderful. Um, but there are sacrifices being made for that. Or, or look at I-70 on a ski weekend. There are sacrifices being made, but the payoff, the ROI is like really clear. I get to go enjoy a weekend or a day skiing in the mountains. It's enjoyable. Yeah, these are good gifts. But I think our tendency is to be, to be very personal, personalized in, 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 the, in terms of the sacrifices we want to make and not see beyond the immediate. Uh, media theorist Andrew Keene said this about our society, that we're, we're often struck with an amnesia about everything except the immediate, the instant, the now, and the me. Another author, Cal David Bennett, <clears throat> brought this to bear specifically in the church when he said this, what we really want in our times of worship is to be moved from a negative emotional state to a positive one, from sadness or worry to excitement or confidence. We want to move from blah to yippee. We want to feel good and have a positive emotional experience. This is what we're looking for and anticipating. Many of us nowadays treat spiritual disciplines like heroin. We turn to them in times of trouble, and we use them to get a spiritual high. We practice them because we want to feel stimulated, excited, or inspired. And I wonder if any of us can relate. And we see our engagement with Jesus, with the church, as kind of a means to, to a quick emotional fix or high or something experiential that's going to be really beneficial right now. And so we lose sight of what Christ may be doing through our lives in suffering. Uh, we miss what he may be doing just in like the mundane everyday activities and rhythms of following Jesus that we may not feel except for the, the compounded impact after years or decades. Akal David Bennett goes on to say, the way of Jesus does not involve endless private mystical experiences that tickle our fancy. Rather, it is the transformation of mundane activities that have vast implications. So where are we missing out on what the Spirit may want to do in our midst? Because we've so tethered ourselves and attached ourselves to emotional highs and, and particular experiences that we're not open to what Christ may actually want to say and do in the midst of his people. So legalism, taking the good gift of discipline, elevating that above Christ. Emotionalism, taking the good gift of emotion or experience, elevating that above Christ. Third obstacle, which is actually not found in Colossians because this would have been utterly foreign 
to how they would have thought of Christianity or religion more, more generally. And that's the danger of nominalism. Christian in name only. Sure, sure we'll, we'll kind of attach ourselves and connect to the church, um, at least to an extent. And we, we love the fact that, that Jesus has sacrificed for us, that God has given us his love and, and affection and brought us near into his family. But as soon as following Jesus is going to cost me something that kind of treads on my vision of the good life, kind of where I thought I was going to go in the future, well, I'm not so sure anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to hedge a little bit. Now, I'm, I'm actually really interested in, in the, the community that the church can offer me. May I find some, some good friendships, maybe a spouse. But I'm going to be part of the church to the extent that it's going to be beneficial. But as soon as Jesus starts talking about bearing burdens and a cross and, and actually coming to die to self, ah, there's got to be some like happy middle, right? Like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure I want to follow the way of Jesus I just want to lightly bear the name of Christian. Christianity in name only. Well, the danger here is that we begin to coast. We think that the following Jesus was something we did at a, maybe a younger stage of our life. You know, we, we, we signed a car, we made a profession, we're kind of like, we're in. And we don't see the continual rhythms of walking with Jesus as something essential uh, to this journey through life. But this coasting is dangerous. It actually reminds me of a Simpsons episode, and I have to apologize, this is the first time I've referenced the Simpsons in preaching. I realized that uh, earlier this week. Um, but in one Simpsons episode, Homer is going to pick up the kids from school, and he gets into the car, and it's either a new car, or he borrowing, he's borrowing a car, somehow it's, it's new to him, and he gets into the driver's seat and starts going down the road, and he, he comes up to the steering wheel, and he begins looking at it, he's like, oh, there, there's cruise control, I didn't realize that. And, and so then he, he holds down the button of the cruise control and, and says, school, please, and then releases and then reclines his chair and throws his hands behind his head and just allows the car to go. And it works great for like seven or eight seconds, if that. And then he hits a bump and a fence and people and cars and it just ends in disaster. It's the Simpsons. We ended up at the school just fine. But we stopped the analogy a little bit early. That's us. That's us when we fall into some form of nominalism. We begin coasting spiritually, and it may seem fine for a while. We may be able to, to kind of play that game for a little while, but eventually things are going to become, be, begin falling apart. Listen to what Don Carson says about this. He says, One of the most striking evidences of sinful human nature lies in the universal propensity for downward drift. In other words, it takes thought, resolve, energy, and effort to bring about reform. In the grace of God, sometimes human beings display such virtues. But where such virtues are absent, the drift is invariably toward compromise, comfort, indiscipline, sliding disobedience, and decay that advances, sometimes at a crawl and sometimes at a gallop, across generations. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we've been liberated. 
to legalism, emotionalism, and nominalism. Ultimately, these three fail for the same two reasons. One, they don't have any true substance because substance is found in Christ. And this is taking something other than Christ and elevating that to be central in our lives. And so we don't have something that is actually of substance. Because of that, because Christ is not at the center, these ultimately do not work. They just fail. Like empirically, they fail to bring about what is necessary in our lives. Look in verse 23 of chapter 2. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They actually can't bring about renewal. They actually can't bring about renewed affections for Christ in a life that has changed because Christ is not central. So what is the way forward? Well, we, we cannot conjure up renewal. We cannot create revival. This is a gift of the Spirit. As author Mark Sayer said, he said, God chooses when, where, and whom he will renew. Yet we can prepare for his coming. And I think the turn that Paul has in chapter 3, his response to what's going on in this church, is instructive for us. We begin to turn our, our, our gaze and our attention and our orientation toward Jesus. Um, there's a, an author, Richard Lovelace, who wrote a book back in 1979 about uh, the dynamics of, of spiritual life and growth and renewal. And a large book, one of the most profound insights in it is that he's convinced that the greatest reason we don't experience renewal is because we have an insecurity in the love of Christ for us. And from that place of insecurity, not actually operating out of the identity that is ours in Christ, we begin to run to one of three places. Either self-righteousness, self-made religion, which is legalism, kind of being good enough on our own. Two, emotional highs, experiences, um, somehow just like skimming across the surface but never delving into and dealing with what is actually there and deeper. Emotionalism. Or three, we succumb to cultural idols. We find the good gifts of God and we elevate them beyond God and, and we find ourselves in the realm of nominalism. And so how do we become secure in the love of Christ? Well, look, look what Paul has to say, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul's response here is not try harder, do better, here's your program, here's your to-do list. He says, begin setting your attention, your gaze, upon things that are above, where Christ is. Behold Jesus. Understand your life through the lens of who Christ is and what he's done for you. This is not some form of escapism, as Maybe some of us have heard this text preached before. That we can kind of like get out of the material world and the everydayness of this life and, and just kind of get into the spiritual plane and, and escape that. It's actually very much rooted in this life, but we begin to be reoriented around Jesus. We begin to see him and experience his love for us, to, to, to be with him in new ways and in richer ways. I think Dallas Willard put it, put it well when he said this, the first and most basic thing we can, we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. 
Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. In the early time of practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. Fixing our minds, our hearts, our affections, our attention upon who Jesus is, turning to him again and again and again. It's as simple as that and yet as difficult as that. Returning to the very one who has given us life and where our life is defined. And that, that marked the life of Jesus looking to the Father as well. Um, one theologian, Hans Urs von Balthasar, which if your name is Hans Urs von Balthasar, like you will say profound things and write books. Just, it's a fact of life. Uh, but he said this when speaking of Jesus. Here is a man sinless because he has lovingly allowed the Father's will full scope in his life. Here is a man sinless because he, he has lovingly allowed the Father's will full scope in his life. That's what the human being is designed for. Allowing God full access to our lives. The places that we want to keep in the shadows, that we want to keep tucked away and hidden, uh, that, that we just believe that we could not be loved, could not be still pursued if that was out in the open. Or the places that are just too hard for us to, to be honest about. When, we, when God begins to get access to those parts of our lives and our soul. That's when renewal starts to take place. That's when transformation takes place. When grace meets shame, we begin tasting and seeing that God in, indeed is good. He's for us, and he brings us joy and rest and peace. So again, notice this is not some sort of program. It's not a to-do list. It's not a 12-week study. It is learning to put our our, our our gaze and our attention upon who Jesus is and be saturated with that. But I want to give us three buckets, three categories as we move into this week and as we move into this fall semester and how we've integrated some things around spiritual practices into our, our Exodus series this fall. So three categories are scripture, prayer, and rest. Scripture, prayer, and rest. And a quick comment on each. Then I want to give us a little bit of time to begin pushing into these. Um, and then we'll, we'll take communion together. But scripture, this is the gift of God revealing himself to us. This is God condescending in, in, in proclaiming to us in his word, this is what's true. This is what's true about him. This is what's true about us. This is what's true about finding life that is real and genuine. This is what we're for. This is the direction of our life. This is what we can do with our sin and brokenness and shame. He's given us the words of life. And so it, in, instead of, of seeing this as, man, I need to, to do more to be in the word of God. I need more like early time, like set the alarm earlier and do more. Maybe that's the case. But, but what if we flip that and say, oh, God has given us this really sweet gift of speaking to us, of actually telling us, what we know to be true. And sure, sometimes it's a little bit harder for us to take in. It doesn't always make sense of our situation and we have to wrestle with that. It doesn't always taste great to swallow the, the words that God has given to us. But we know that it's true. We know that it's actually nourishing to us. 
And so then we begin to ask the question, how is this good gift of the Word of God functioning in our lives? Like currently, right now, how is the Word of God being a means of, of nourishment to you, of being a means of strength, of encouragement? How is Scripture functioning in your life right now? Second, prayer. Another beautiful gift that God has given to us, to commune with the triune God, uh, to be ushered into relationship with our Father, with our Maker, the one who knows us and loves us still, and we will dwell with for eternity. He says, come, come to my throne of grace. You, you can actually look to me, and I, you can speak to me, and I receive you. I, I will speak to you. We can actually commune with one another. Like, go back and read Jesus' prayer in John 17. His prayer for his disciples and then all the, those who would believe through his disciples, which includes us, is that we would be brought into the triune intimacy that God enjoys and has from eternity past. That we're able to, to commune with this living God, to be seen and known and loved. How is this gift of prayer and communion with God operating in your life right now? Are, are you, you taking right advantage of that gift? Or are you finding context and space to, to go before the living God who wants to hear from you? who gives you opportunity to be heard, and he will respond. So that's prayer. Third, rest. This is receiving the great invitation that Jesus has given us. That in our weariness, in our burden bearing, in our labor, in our attempts to, to do enough and to be enough, we can come to him and just be in his presence. We can cease creating value. We can cease productivity. We can cease doing the things that we feel like we have to do to be worth something and be with him and have our worth be found in Christ and not what we accomplish. Being in the presence of God, this sweet gift where we're able to recognize again that this world is not, it doesn't run because we labor. It runs because God reigns and we're invited into a small piece of what he's doing in the world. But it's not up to us. And we can have these rhythms of rest on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis. How is this sweet gift of rest operating in your life right now? Are you taking advantage of this good gift to rest in the presence of God, to recognize his sufficiency and our relative weakness? I think a good way to, to think of these things is, is God setting the table with this beautiful feast and he's inviting us to come in, no matter where we are right now, no matter where we've been in these different disciplines, no matter what this past week has looked like for us, no matter what last night looked like for you. He's inviting us in to come and to eat and to drink and to enjoy him, to taste and see that he is good and what he provides is good. This is where life is found. So I want us to take just maybe two or three minutes. The musicians are going to come up uh, here in a minute and, and play in the background, but Begin thinking through this. Maybe this is the beginning of your journey in allowing the Father access to your life, his will to have full scope in your life. You're just beginning to step into this journey of, of being honest about what's, what's going on, what's real. Or, or maybe you've been doing that for a while, but you need to, to kind of think through, like, how have these good gifts that God has provided, how have they become consistent practices that I've engaged in to experience the kindness of God more so? Uh, so take the next two, three minutes. Uh, I want to pray for us and then allow us just some time of, of stillness before God. Jesus, thank you. we thank you that uh, you have drawn near to us so that we can draw near to the Father. 
that we have access to his throne of grace. Oh, may we in turn allow him access to our lives, uh, to, to throw down the armor, to allow ourselves to, to be broken, to be weak, to name reality, and to begin experiencing grace in these broken, shameful places. And oh, give us this grace-driven effort to begin practicing the way of Jesus more fully, uh, to, to put ourselves in the path of the allurements of Christ, the, the beauty of who you are. May we be changed. May you transform us. May you, you take us uh, from death to life or from, from sleepiness to wakefulness or from a, a place of just not feeling your presence to beginning to experience you. In, in, in fresh ways, but do something, even in these next few minutes. May, may there be some subtle shifts in the direction of our lives and how we think about walking with you that would be strengthened and encouraged and be able to delight in you more fully. But please come, Spirit, even now, to work amongst your people.